Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is a woman who can literally get me up in the middle of the night, as she did 20 years ago when she won her Olympic gold medal for the heptathlon in Sydney. Denise Lewis is a supreme athlete, a BBC favourite on our athletics coverage and shows like Strictly Come Dancing, and a mother of four children from 18 months to 18 years. She's pretty good at juggling. She's the daughter of a Windrush migrant. Her mum brought her up on her own in Birmingham in a time when there was no movement called Black Lives Matter. It was a tough start to life. I was already desperate to get her on this podcast to talk about having a baby in your late 40s. And then she went and rode the length of Britain for a challenge. So I decided to re-record the whole thing. You kind of can't ignore that, can you? Today's episode is brought to you with the help of Solgar, who have an extensive range of vitamins and minerals to boost your immune system as we head into the tough winter months. They come in glass bottles with gold lids, which given my guest today seems even more appropriate. She's one of my favourite sporting golden girls. Hi, Denise. I'm going to come clean because I think people in the world of listening to podcasts these days are very savvy. Um, You were top of my inspirational women that I wanted to have on this series. Uh, You know, I came to you really early on and you said yes, like the absolute diamond you are. And that was so early on in the summer. And I listened back and I thought, it's so interesting. So much has changed since the first chat we had especially about the big chunk of chat we had about Black Lives Matters. And I want to know how yeah. what you think has changed. But also, you went and rode the length of the country and I just couldn't do a podcast about midlife without talking about that. So you cheeky thing. <laughs> yes. Well, you see what lockdown does to people? You've you know, been trapped at home for so long. I just needed to get out and take on a new challenge. I've been looking for this challenge for a couple of years and we've spoken about it before, haven't we? That, yeah. You know, every now and again, you just need to come out your comfort zone. And so <laughs> this opportunity presented itself um, and it was to row from Cornwall to Scotland, as you do. And I just said, you know what? Let's do it. Let me just get my teeth stuck into something that ordinarily I wouldn't do. You know, the open water, being surrounded by sea, not really my bag. No, I've never heard you even get on a rower in a a gym before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have done. I have done, but it's my least favourite piece of equipment in the gym, I'll be honest. And so um, I just felt, you know, it's now or never. It's going to be four weeks of my life where I'll be very uncomfortable. Was it four weeks, was it? Yeah, four weeks of my life with people that I don't really know. Um, it was presented as a, a competition. Yeah, you've seen them on the telly, but you don't really know yeah. what they're like when you live with them in a boat for four weeks. Exactly. And you can imagine how tight that cabin was at times. So, um, yeah, so I did it. I did it. And it was really challenging. It was uncomfortable. But like everything else, you do it enough. And that repetition, it started to feel like home on the boat, you know. Did you get a little bit institutionalized? Did the boat become your kind of (laughs) safe space? It was my safe space. And there's those moments that where the weather's 
in your favor the tide is with you the wind is very light and you're just at one with nature some fantastic coastlines that we have in the uk and the odd dolphin or minky whale that you might spot or the otters it's just those those life-affirming moments when you just think wow life is great and it's hard at times but you will get through it it's a very strange way to start an episode of this by saying denise um we did this before and we're doing it again because you've rode the length of the country so can i just be clear right that we're doing this now and in three weeks time i'm not going to find out that you've just run up like you know snowden or something or you've been to kilimanjaro <laughs> because you sat there in my garden because we couldn't even come in the house it was that early on in lockdown you sat in the garden never mentioned that this was on the agenda i mean you know we talked about a million other topics so how long have you, had you known that this was coming Seriously, I didn't know then. It was not on the agenda. It was still in the back of my mind. I will find something one day to do that is going to be epic. And phone went, do you fancy this? We're going to scramble this team together and we'd love you to be involved. Okay, hang on a second. It was in the back of my mind. I, I, wanted like, to, I wanted to find something epic. Says the woman who has an Olympic gold medal and four children, right? You've, you know, on the kind of life list of things to tick off, You've done pretty much, you know, I'd say already enough, but I, I, you know, I'm all for keeping challenging ourselves. So what was that? What was that thirst? What was that desire about? Because when you had Troy 18 months ago, yeah. I mean, that that's huge in itself to be in your mid 40s, having a baby after a gap of 10 years. So why, why do you think that thirst was there to do something physical? It's that craving to test whether you've still got it. Have you still got enough nous about you to, to go out of the comfort zone, to, to get rid of the comfy slippers, to stop pouring that glass of wine in the evening, um, just chill out with the family. Um, I just needed to know that I had that edge again. So have you completely quenched it now? Are, we gonna, are, we, are you going to do something else? No, I think that's awakened something new in me that, you know, it's important to do this. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think you talk about the Olympic gold. 20 years ago, Gabby, this year. <laughs> you know, it's 20, 20 years. years since I stood on that podium. Um, and my life changed in, in an amount of ways that I could just not even put into words. But as I said, the family takes over. You start, you're giving a lot of yourself all the time. And I just got to that stage over lockdown where I needed to reclaim me my time, my endeavours, my challenges. Well, you're, I mean, that is just perfect in terms of a message for this for this podcast because you've done so, so much. You mentioned, you know, your, your athletics career obviously was phenomenally successful and um, you're a, a role model to so many people. But I did just mention Troy. So let's just deal with Troy because I mean, so many people kind of think that anybody who has a baby in their mid-40s, it would have been an accident, right? Okay, you know, yeah. I've got three kids. The oldest one's 18. Um, if you have a baby, people kind of give you that look, don't they? Where they go, oh, how did that happen then? This was a planned and much wanted baby from your point of view. From my point of view, yes, it was. And Steve and I had been trying. Um, I got a cutoff date for him from him. Did you? Did you? Yes, yeah, I literally did. It was like, you either conceive in this window or we're really done. We're really done. And I had been badgering him. So I just felt, I love babies. I really do. I can't deny it. I love babies, but they do grow up and they do cause you a lot of sleepless nights. But having, and I don't know whether we've spoken about it personally, but um, I did have a miscarriage um, a couple of years ago. And that was, 
it was traumatic. It was really traumatic. Um, and I didn't expect to have these overwhelming feelings after that because I thought maybe this is a sign. Was, the, was the miscarriage, is... was that part of, were you trying at that point or was that an, an unexpected pregnancy? No, we were trying. We, we were, were trying, trying at then, that right? point. And I thought, oh, this is it. Um, uh, miscarriage happened. And I thought maybe I'm pushing my luck. Maybe, you know, I need to be grateful for what I have, three very healthy children and that's that's it but again that overwhelming desire to add to the family just didn't go away and you hear other women talk about it that you know they'd like to have more children you know when you only you know when it's enough you know when you've had it I have friends that have had two children and they absolutely couldn't think of anything worse than having a third child (laughs) but that was not me that wasn't me but the gap, I mean, that's something else because your kids are pretty much, it's what, they're super independent in terms of like getting dressed and all that kind of thing. You know, it's, yeah. you know, that they've, they've got their lives. They know what they like. They know the foods they like. They know the things they like to do. A baby into that mix, you know, that's not just from your point of view and your health and your, you know, kind of mental state, but also for the dynamic of the family. That was always going to be something that you you know you wouldn't know how that would go are the older kids going to take to him how is this going to work out so so were you at all worried that it it would disrupt the flow of the family well that was always the unknown factor and I'll be honest I was wondering how people might perceive me whether they thought you know that's her finish she's not interested in working she's just going to be a stay-at-home which stay-at-home mom which is fine you know so many women do it they they make the home they are the glue of the home um, but I, I just thought, you know what, the children will adapt. And like I predicted, it, he's just been the best thing for the household. They've managed to see this little human being adapt, adjust, fit in. They find him fascinating and have done, you know, at birth, you know, just how something so small can function and exist. And so he has been just magical. See, I'm, I'm, I'm the eldest of a family of four and my little brother, who's now 36, he came when I was 13. So it's very similar actually to your brood. Yeah. You know, there was a 10 year gap between him and um, I think he was a bit of an accident, a much welcome accident. <laughs> but it's it, for the older kids, I totally relate to your, what your kids have gone through because it is such a wonderful, joyous thing to see your mum kind of because you imagine her how you you know with you how was she with me when I was a baby what what was it like when I was and you see yourself almost through that child all the all those questions I've, I've had you know the kids have always been asking me you know, what was it like and, and you're right they have embraced every element of Troy, Troy's development and me as a mother and I've been able to call on them to do things that ordinarily they'd give me a grumpy face pretty <laughs> much ignore me and but if it's from for Troy They'll do, they'll, it. they'll do it in a heartbeat. And they probably see you even more of a superwoman as well now, you know, because you, you're juggling, you know, properly in front of their eyes. So they won't want to admit it just yet. The other thing, Lauren's gone to university now. So she's yes. she's 18. I'm, I wasn't quite that age, but it, I'll tell you what it did for me, Denise. I was of the age where I was just, you know, coming into my kind of puberty years and everything. It made me realise I did not want to be a teenage mother. I mean, I saw how hard it was. I was like, there was no way I was ever going to get pregnant before my time. So and maybe it's done that for her as well. She's realised, you know, that not going to be a young mum. This is, you know, this is not happening. That seed was in the back of my mind too. It's the best <laughs> contraception you could ever give a, 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 a mature teenager. teenage girl um, and boy, actually. Yeah, yeah. Look um, after this. Because it is hard work. <laughs> yeah. And they, they know it. Ryan says, oh, my goodness, mum, I've watched him for 20 minutes. 
it's exhausting. You know, he doesn't keep still. He doesn't do this. He needs this. And so I, I listen, they're learning a lot from this engagement, you know, the tolerance, patience. The weird thing is, and we've said it before, and we've all said it to you at work as well. I mean, you, you know, you, you were beautiful and happy before, but you just seem to have found some kind of tranquility with the fourth child. You know, it seems to have just changed your state in some way. And, you know, everybody teases you at work, don't they? That Troy's, yeah. the, you know, is the, the favourite. Because, because you kind of have this glow around you, which, you know, one does not expect a mother of four going from zero up to 18 to necessarily have. So more power to you for that. I just think, you know, when you know it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my age, I'm, I'm nearly 50, you just embrace things, the simple things in life. And mothering a child is a gift. It really is a gift um, for those inclined to, to yeah. mother. Yeah. And well, people me, don't I've always just, so doesn't... have to give birth to mother, do they? You know, they, they, no, they, they look true. after and they nurture in different ways. But yeah, you're, you're blessed with your brood. You've, you've just embarked on another physical challenge. Um, work's going well. You know, we've managed to get a little bit of athletics away. At the beginning of the summer when we met, we didn't know. What we did know in the beginning of the summer was that the movement for Black Lives Matter was was growing and the energy around it was growing. And at the time, you'd just been on a march, hadn't you, with Ryan? Yeah, with my 14-year-old. He was absolutely determined to, to get into central London, to, to feel the energy, to want to put his stamp or... It, just experience what it is like to protest and put his views into action and that was a really interesting time but you know we're, we're several months away from that and how has that affected for, that, for him because remember you saying that you realized there were conversations your kids have got um a, a white dad and a black yes. mum and so you realized there were certain conversations that you just hadn't had with them because you hadn't felt they hadn't come up so have those conversations now come to the fore more has he been asking more questions i don't know whether it's asking more questions but you know uh, i think brian it's fair to say brian does identify very much with his 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 black heritage you know in whatever way shape or form that is he understands that he is not a white child and so he may get treated differently invariably he will get treated differently and so i think for him it's working it out for himself about how he will react, what, what is his personal statement going to be to the world in, in terms of who he is. And I think that was important. You know, we both give them great balance from both sides of our experiences and our heritage. But for Ryan, it's, it's important that the individual starts to identify who they are. And I think having this whole movement in his formative years and where he's really conscious and awake has helped him massively. Yeah. And since the beginning of the summer, how do you feel things are moving? You know, there, there was a rush of energy. There was lots of people posting things on social media. There were marches. And invariably, the news agenda kind of moves into different areas, doesn't it? We have a global pandemic still yeah. still in our, in our midst. We have the American elections. We have so many other things still going on. It does seem to me that it's still... In, in the agenda, though, does it feel to you like progress is being made, real progress? I think it's very much in the agenda. And I think it's a case of organisations either either running with the, the, the beat and the, the, the consciousness um, that has been just brought to the fore with the, oh, Black Lives Matter and either saying, we want to make that change and we don't want to be called out and exposed for being 
still very ignorant to what's going on. And I think that's, for me, progressive in the organisations that I deal with, um, where they are asking the right questions. CEOs, senior management want to do better. And I think that's, that's really encouraging. I think we're still a long way from the results, but at least I think the, the energy seems to be going in the right direction. Um, but still, there's a lot of raw emotion. And I think that's what the whole, the, what Black Lives Matter has done for a lot of people of colour, is rise these, raise these emotions to the fore from silence, years of silence, years of just brushing it off, years of not feeling empowered or strong enough to actually speak out. That's not going to happen anymore. And that's the sense that I get from the individuals I speak to, from the articles that I read, that the years of silence, that they have no place. To make change for the next generation and true change, we have to speak out and speak up. Can I ask you about your mum? Because I wonder what she feels right now. You know, she was a a child of the Windrush generation and kind of comes to the UK to build a life, ends up being a single mum in Birmingham, and um, she brings you up on her own and her family are back in Jamaica. She must have experienced some absolutely horrible racism um, in her time there. She's, she spends a lot of time with you guys now, I know. But does she does she see a difference? Does she see a positive kind of change? How would she, do you think, reflect on the last 40, 50 years? I'm glad you asked that because I asked her the same very question and she what she experienced was just abhorrent in some instances um and and absolutely awful you know avert racism in your face no discrimination to whether there was someone would be hurting your feelings um the opportunities were much much less and so she would say there has been progress she has seen change but what unearthed everyone's emotions by witnessing George Floyd and the subsequent uh, movement is how raw those emotions have been and were woken up again. And it felt like yesterday when that first transgression took place. And she's been trying to get over that. It took her a while to get over that anger that she may have felt some 20 years before that. Which she had to suppress. Which she suppressed. It's nowhere to go. No one had anywhere to go with that um, feeling. Now, it at least feels like your voice may be heard. And if you keep speaking long enough and loud enough, it will be heard. And like I said just earlier, that I think it's important that the next generation, and I really do believe that speaking to the 20-somethings that I do, that they aren't prepared to be silent. They're not going to turn the other cheek necessarily. They will call it out, address it, and demand an explanation for any transgression or any overt racism. Because your life has been so steeped in sport from such an early age and sport on the field of play, at least, is an area where discrimination can't overtly happen. If you're brilliant, you're going to win. You know, if you're talented, you're going to score the goals. You're going to be the the top points, whatever the sport is. And we see, you know, in this country, Great Britain has proudly sent children of the Windrush, you know, kind of grandfathers into Olympic Games and winning gold medals. And, you know, and it's been a real kind of a reflection of our changing demographic of our society. So I wonder if sport almost shielded you a little bit when you were growing up from anything more overt because you were you were winning 
you were winning in that. Did you still, were you still aware of it as, as a child? I think you're aware because, you know, my mom would, would tell me, but not, she would try and protect me, but she would tell me of the odd instances where she'd been upset at work. Someone made a horrible comment, but you're right. Sport did shield me massively. Um, I've always had a very <laughs> eclectic mix of friends, um, very diverse that bunch sport, of friends. sport kind of did that. School sport particularly. And as you said, my talent seemed to shine and go through and come through. Um, I wouldn't say I've experienced any, any racism as an athlete. Absolutely not. And that's why I, I have felt that I haven't needed to, to join in that conversation because it wouldn't be true. I think you have to be true about your own experiences and, and mine definitely not that feeling of hostility or lack of progression in my sport because of my colour at all. So I've been very fortunate, I think. And then as you've got older, um, do you think you found your voice more in terms of being, you know, because what you say there's quite interesting that you feel, because I've kind of answered those questions about sexism a bit like that. You know, I've kind of yeah. said, well, I've got a great career, so I'll, so so I, nobody was sexist towards me. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of, yes. and then I look back and think, well, that wasn't a very good thing to say that one boss said. And that wasn't something that, you know, and I think because we, we feel like we're kind of swimming against the tide a little bit, we, you know, we, we just accept certain things and say, well, I'm, I'm successful in this area, so therefore it's okay. Do you think your voice has become stronger as you've hit the middle years? What I would say is when I've tried to step out of my sporting arena, that's when I think I've faced discrimination. Um, and whether it's discrimination as a woman or a woman of colour in particular, we talked about you know, having the opportunity to be on the front cover of magazines at the height of my career. That would never have happened. Never have happened. And I was told, mm, you're not relatable. You know, your body, your face wouldn't sell magazines. Wow. <laughs> if your face can't sell a magazine, Denise, then so, God help the rest of us. <laughs> but I am still classed as minority in terms of my, my, my skin colour. So at the time, it felt very much like, okay, I believe what you're saying. I accept that. Can't do anything about it. Um, you're telling me that I won't sell magazines just because I'm on the front cover. It is what it is. So for me to see the likes of Dinesha Smith and so many people of colour, women of colour really owning the shelves and, you know, you can look around and you see, there's Kyra, you know, there's Dina on the front cover. It's progress. It's progress for, as I said, the generation to follow that you shouldn't be told no. If you're good enough and you're accepted, then you'll be there. Taking this in a completely different direction and becoming a lot more shallow. I haven't really discussed, when I've talked to ageing on this podcast, it's more kind of been about being fit and, you know, everybody knows you're super fit. Can I talk about, because you mentioned your face, right, which is incredible. Your skin is just wonderful. In fact, I've told you before, my mum texts me when we're on air and says things like, is she that beautiful in real life? Which is so lovely of her to mention me. But, um, I, you know, do you, do you worry about um, getting old? Is, is it something that is a taught No, she's, she's shaking I, her head. <laughs> I do not worry about what my face will look like. What I do worry about is, will I be able to do the the activities that yeah. I enjoy without feeling pain, without the knee flaring up or my Achilles breaking down or, you know, my hip giving up on me. I, I don't really think about 
what my face is going to look like. I'll, I always believe there'll, there'll be a cream out there, there'll be <laughs> makeup out there that can hide a multitude of sins. There are no sins there at the moment. Um, so there's no, there's no, there's just no point wasting time thinking about it, really, is there? Because it is. Um, no sense. As Cla- Claudia Winkleman said on this podcast, that train has left the station, and we're, we are we are <laughs> we are getting older, and and that's it. And the aging process, in terms of the visual side of it, the aesthetic side of it, doesn't bother you at all. You want to be fit and healthy for your for, for Troy, because let's be honest, Denise, you're going to be heading towards your late sixties before he leaves home, aren't you? <laughs> Listen, I'm, I, this is what, you know, this is where the athlete kicks in. Do not focus that far into the future. Right. Focus One on One Olympics the at a time. <laughs> <laughs> One cycle at a time. Let me get through the teething. Right. Then let's get into school. Let me get into nursery. <laughs> right, I'm sorry, I've jumped ahead. <laughs> get into nursery. That's very good advice, actually. Would you say that kind of, um, you said it's the athlete in, in you, and that people do look sometimes too far ahead, don't they? And not living in the moment. Are you good at living in the moment? I get, I'm better at it. I am really good at it. Um, obviously, with the children, you've got to start, you know, you start planning. There's just midterm, long-term plans, but I would not exceed, you know, a couple of years for the kids, you know, just having a vision of what might life might look like for them. But for myself, I absolutely try and take each little chapter as they come. Um, because if I didn't, I think that's when the fear kicks in because I noticed that happened with Steve when we talked about, you know, Troy, he's going to be, he's coming, he's on his way in nine months' time, he's is he? going to be here. Oh, I thought he was Steve going to come into start- the room now. Sorry, I was, I, was, <laughs> no, I, was, I no. love seeing Troy. <laughs> no, at the time when yeah, um, was Troy due. was um, growing and uh, Steve was really thinking about, my goodness, I'm going to be, I'm going to be 65 and, I'll, you know, all the negative emotions that, um, he could conjure up for himself he was just letting them pour out I said you've got to stop it enjoy him every day that he's here and for as long as you're fit and healthy just because you never know what's around the corner at whatever age in life anyway so um yeah you are you are the personification though I think of somebody who um is living breathing kind of everything that we've all the positives I've taken from all these interviews you're kind of putting them all into practice however um it is time to introduce today's expert Denise and um it is Dr Pixie McKenna I thought be quite interesting because we haven't discussed the physical changes of midlife, you know, the menopause and stuff like that and all the changing hormones. And with you having a baby well into your 40s, your body's clearly functioning, you know, on all cylinders and going going great guns. So I thought it'd be really interesting to have a chat about that because I am useless when it comes to hormones. I am the person that when I was trying to get pregnant, I genuinely had to kind of Google, you know, what the uterus was and things like that because I was totally ignorant. So uh, let's do that. Let's dial up Dr. Pixie McKenna. Now, this bit is from the first time I recorded this podcast when Denise was sat socially distanced in my gut. Dr. Pixie McKenna, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, ladies? All right? Very good indeed. Thank you so much for um, having a quick chat with us. Uh, We've been talking about all kinds of things. Actually, we genuinely have been talking about all kinds of things. The state (laughs) of the world, you know, putting it all to rights. But this being called Midpoint and uh, one of the big midlife 
questions for women is, you know, how the menopause affects them and men, actually, because this is increasingly becoming a, a male area as well, isn't it? And hormone change. And I am completely ignorant, Pixie. Um, I mean, I genuinely don't know how I got pregnant. I do actually had IVF, but I'm, I'm totally ignorant when it comes to hormones. I talk about them as if I know exactly what's going on, but I, I have no idea really um, what I should be expecting and how I'm going to know when it's happening. So um, can we, yeah. can we kind of tell me about estrogen and progesterone? Progesterone. I <laughs> can't even well, say. Well, I suppose most of our learning was back in biology when we had to learn that terrible graph. Yeah. All this estrogen going up and progesterone and FSH and LH, and it was always a nightmare, and nobody ever got it right. <laughs> um, essentially, um, there's a lot more to menopause than the decline in estrogen. As you mentioned, progesterone is another hormone which goes down. And we've also got to think of testosterone, which um, a lot of women mightn't even know plays a part in, in the process of menopause and perimenopause. So those would be the main hormones. Um, but there are other things like serotonin and dopamine and, and there are other things that are affected by the menopause as well. But the key ones, I guess, uh, when we're thinking about what we, we might want to replace to get us back to where we were pre-perimenopause would be estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. Just perimenopause, this is also, I've, I feel, and maybe it's just because, you know, I mean, you know, when you're trying to get pregnant, everybody seems to have a baby. Well, suddenly yes. the word perimenopause seems to pop up everywhere. And is it just because I might be perimenopause or I might be heading for perimenopause? I don't know. But I don't think I ever heard of this peri bit before. So what is perimenopause? Well, I think it's because we've thankfully opened the, the door to people talking about menopause in the first instance. I mean, you know, for, for a long, long time, women sat at home and just put everything down to menopause and didn't go to their doctors because they were terrified to take HRT because there were various papers that were out that said loads of things that you shouldn't be having HRT. And it, it caused great problems. Um, but now, thankfully, we've opened the door and people are not only talking about the menopause, but they're talking about that lead into the menopause. So perimenopause is when usually the first sign is that your periods are becoming a little bit irregular. Mm -hmm. And it probably happens three to four years before your periods finally stop for good. Right. But with it, you might get those symptoms that, you know, you're sort of you're not as sparky as you were. You're sweating at night. Your sleep is disturbed. You might be a bit moody. You've kind of lost your mojo. Um, and, and they're all essentially menopausal symptoms. Right. But they're a diluted version as you your hormones worse. start to decline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Denise has got a really interesting, quite specific question, actually, because Denise has got a gorgeous little baby, Troy. He's 18 months old. And oh, lovely. Yes. And Denise is also 47. So go on, Denise. Ask Pixie. I just wonder, have would I have delayed my perimenopausal time frame by having a baby or at, 46. Or at, 40, at 46, 47? Do you just delay it further or could I still be in it very soon, turning, turning uh, 48 in a few months time? It's hard. To, I haven't seen any studies on that, actually. One of the, one of the things um, that has been studied is actually sex as something that reduces, it's supposed to sort of delay the menopause and sex and a, and a diet of... What, so more sex delays the menopause? It's about, there's one study, it was about a couple of years ago, yeah, that said if you had sex once a week, you, you potentially could delay the menopause. Now, a lot of these things, when you drill down to them, you think actually they didn't study enough people, etc. But um, it, on it what is basis? One of the things, what, was, what was the basis for that? 
um, that it was to do with the um, the ovaries and, and giving your giving your body the impression that you were still wanted to be fertile. Right, right. Um, it's and almost tricking your body you, into thinking yeah. that you wanted to be pregnant. So I suppose in in theory, yeah. yes. You know, in theory, yes, I suppose it, it's a possibility, but I don't know off the top of my head of any papers in terms of, of women who've, who've had babies in their in their mid to late 40s. And the kinds of things, I mean, you mentioned HRT, and obviously that is something that, you know, you, you would make a decision on when you are in the menopause. In terms of not preventing but delaying, um, are there any kind of, you know, you hear people saying you've got to be um, absolutely at your optimum body weight, you shouldn't be overweight, or you should eat a certain diet, or, you know, you should be doing certain exercises. Is there anything you can do to kind of put those symptoms and also those drops in hormones back? Well, what's really important, and, and what a lot of uh, women aren't aware of, is that actually, it's absolutely fine to go to your doctor in the perimenopause and get some type of hormone replacement. Because you're you're almost slowing the the way into a big abrupt stop at the menopause. So mm. so a lot of women are on. Thankfully, more and more women are now coming and saying, "Look, I've got these problems. Is there any way we can sort of rejig the balance between my progesterone and my estrogen and my testosterone, so that I'm not waking up at three o'clock in the morning thinking someone's put the heating on, or I'm able to do that really complicated thing at work that I used to be able to do with the computer <laughs> that I now can't do." You know, you can guess what age I am. Um, but I tell you what, though, Pixie, <laughs> lockdown in terms of technology, I have given my brain a right reboot. I can do anything now. I've done TV shows from my bedroom, so I'm. Yes. <laughs> well, you're smart. Well, that, I wasn't. It just lockdown forced me to use a part of my brain that I didn't even know I had. I think this is absolutely fascinating. I think women need to. Be more prepared. The more information you can you can ascertain, the better, on, yeah. and get your hands on, the better. Yeah. Um, I do believe exercise must make a, a big difference. And would you say I don't, huge, a huge difference. difference? Huge difference because we naturally go from sort of pears to apples as well as we, you know, in terms of our shape when we go through the sort of menopausal period. So the fitter you are, the better. And also for prevention of osteoporosis, really important. You know, get, have mm-hmm. your vitamin D is good, weight-bearing exercise, calcium intake, all of that's crucial. And, you know, it's never too late to start. It's never too early to start either. It's definitely, I noticed, luckily I like exercise, but I definitely noticed that it's harder to build the muscle than it ever was. You know, it's it's definitely a bit more work to get those kind of shapes that you want and those muscles that you want. Thank you so much, as always. Wonderful. Lovely to talk to you. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's there's so many different things that our bodies will, you know, will go through and will change and will come out on the other side and potentially then live for another 40 years. And so, so well, that's what that's why this also was really important to me to start this podcast, because it's the idea that, and Pixie alluded to it there, that, that in the old days, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, women kind of almost went inside and didn't come back out again because they didn't know what was going on really. And they didn't, well, they, they knew what was going on, but they didn't know how they were going to deal with it and, and almost became kind of a shadow of their former selves. And I think it's so important that we do carry on setting big goals and trying to achieve our dreams and moving our life and our, you know, our energy forwards. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people used to be even embarrassed to say that they're actually going through menopause. Um, But no, my mum's done a really good job in saying prepare early. 
she said that, you know, just even nutritionally, she's always sending me texts about, you know, get your sage and get your this and get your that. Um, apple cider vinegar. She was talking about that for years ago um, before it was really on trend. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, important. And I can only, again, talk about how I've tried to lead my life, which is having goals goal setting, mm -hmm. whether that's individually or for the family's aspirations. But women just need to keep that that energy going and 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 not give up, you know, just really believe that you can do more than you think. Um and try to embrace the changes that you're going through. Um, if you're having these feelings of needing, something needs to change in your life, it's be probably because it is happening and it's real mm. and you do need to do it. So It doesn't it, have to be huge or no. dramatic, you know, because you midlife crisis, you have people, you know, kind of, and fair enough, if you want to go off and, you know, move to the other side of the world, that's great. But it can be just something small that, yeah. that you need to change or you need to do differently and that's okay. We, we talked a little bit about, before we spoke to Pixie, about wisdom and mental strength and feeling braver almost with age, which I, I can definitely relate to and feel a, a confidence, you know, almost like a backbone of confidence growing. Do you, do you get that? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, just that, not self-assuredness, but just, I like that. I don't like that. <laughs> and I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to waste any time yeah, on that Yeah, I'm anymore. not going to waste any time of that. And so if that's, you know a circle of friends or it's um, a lifestyle that you're not quite living, that you ought to be living, you feel like you should be living something else or doing something else, then then do it. Mm. Be true to yourself. And I think that's that comes through experience. You know, I, I probably would have just gone along with a, things that have happened, you know, to me just because I was just too shy or too, didn't know better. But, mm. you know, you've got to trust in, the years that you've put down on this earth, you know, it means something. Whatever your experience has been is shaping the individual that you are today. And so a bit of self-trust and listening to that inner voice, which I think guides us all. And we just sometimes just put a, you know, a mute over it and we just need to open that up. Well, and it's listen the other noise it. that's going on that almost drowns it out as well. Yeah. And as you say, it is, you know, not saying, I don't know what that person drains me now. I don't, I don't really want to hang out. And so that's fine. Actually, I'm going to, and they, they might feel the same about you, but, but but it's making that decision and just saying, oh, actually, I have got that confidence. You mentioned earlier when you were younger and we all relate to that, the idea of wanting to fit in. And I think maybe it's a loosening of that as well, isn't it? Feeling like, you know what, if I don't fit in with that, that's fine. Yeah. And I remember, because um, I, I loved Oprah, literally. She's the queen mutual, of the 80s. And Do just... you know my Oprah story? No, tell me. I was um, in, a, in a restaurant in London and been a lifelong fan. Loved her to bits ever since the first time I saw her. And I was um, with a group of friends and she was on another table with her husband and a couple of other people. And my husband, Kenny, was like, oh my gosh, she's going to lose it. Gabby's going to lose it now. She's going to lose it. Oprah's out. And I'm, of course, I would never go up to somebody in a restaurant, famous person and, you know, intrude on their meal. And, you know, because I've seen it, you know, done before to friends and it's happened to me to sometimes. You, and, you know, so, so I think it's not, you know, it's not the time and the place. But as she walked past our table, she literally almost brushed Kenny's back and she looked down at him and he said, can I just say? And she was like, yes. And she was all sparkly. She said, my wife absolutely loves you. And she got my hand and put it to her heart and she went, and I love you. And just like, I was literally like a child. I wanted to cry. And then she just walked out and I couldn't talk the rest of the meal. I was all gaga. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I've just had a kind of audience with the Pope. That's incredible. <laughs> 
I've also met her. Have you? Yes. Properly, without your husband grabbing yeah. hold of her hand. Well, he restaurant. actually helped arrange it. Um, Did he? Yes, he oh, does. Oh, I love Steve. So, yeah. <laughs> what, so he's, really good, he's really good friends with Edward Enfell. Um, oh, yeah. The, Vogue uh, editor. Vogue, Vogue editor. And so, um, yeah, I was in a room with her and I could literally just about breathe, Gabby. Honestly, I kept thinking deep breaths. I felt like I was on the start of the 100 metre hurdles in the Olympics. My heart was racing. And this comes back to what we had just been talking about, which is the word she said to me after I said, I just need to breathe you in right now. I said, I just need to breathe you in and I need to touch you so I can tell my friends what you smell like because I've just, I never thought this moment would ever happen to me. And I asked her, how did she stay so grounded? And she said, I learned long ago that you have to trust in yourself and you have to realise that you are enough. You know, and I think in this age of social media, everyone's posting this, that and the other, they're having these wonderful lives. Mm -hmm. But you can get lost, you can mm -hmm. forget that you are enough. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. And that is a beautiful way to end this conversation because if we don't take that into the next half of our lives, then I guess it's going to be a, a bit more problematic and a bit more of a struggle isn't it absolutely thank you so much and hopefully we'll be back doing what we do i can't wait to hug together. you again <laughs> <laughs> thank you denise thank you thank you so much to denise she is an astounding powerful woman mentally and physically so inspiring and her baby troy is the sweetest thing and she proves perhaps that we've got longer than we think to change our lives and take on challenges that might not be rowing the length of the UK. But you might think about adding to your brood, whether it's your fourth or your first. And Solgar offers a range of vitamins and supplements for whatever your body needs fueling through with prenatal nutrients and so much more to make sure you're in tip-top health, whatever you're doing. So thank you to Solgar, to producer Emma Corsham at Rethink Audio and to you for listening. I'll be back next week. 